Welcome to Straight Outta Health IT. Getting into health tech is rough, but here's an unfiltered dialogue of healthcare leaders and influencers covering a wide variety of issues affecting healthcare and the health tech industry. And now your host, Christopher Cunney. Hello, everyone. This is Christopher Cunney, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Out of Health IT. I am so excited today. And what I call the special edition of Straight Out of Health IT. Today, we're going to be exploring the topic of social media's impact on healthcare. So sit back and enjoy what's going to be a very lively discussion. And on this show, I've got two incredible guests that I'll introduce in just a few minutes. So let me give you a couple of my thoughts around social media and its impact on our industry. Social media has actually changed the way that we interact with the world, and healthcare is really no exception. With the rise of social media platforms, patients are now more empowered than ever before. They have access to unprecedented amount of information and can take control of their own health in ways that were once impossible. Healthcare providers also using social media to connect with patients, share information, provide support, and explore how these changes might impact their overall health in general. So whether you're a patient or a healthcare provider, Social media is going to have a unique impact on the way that you interact with the healthcare system today and in the future. So who better to talk about this than two amazing guests that I have? And I must say, I'm not ashamed to say as well, I'm one of their biggest fans. So it's my pleasure to have on the show two of the most prolific social media influencers in this industry that I affectionately call, and many have also, the two graces of healthcare. Dr. Grace Cordenabo and Grace Venton. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you so much for having us, Christopher. It's great to be here. The hashtag, the Graces are happy to be here. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. A pleasure to have you. And Doc? I am absolutely so excited for this conversation. It's truly an honor and it is my honor to be here as one of your fangirls and the work that you're doing with this show. So looking forward to this conversation. Well, thank you so much. And let me take a moment to just give you an overview of my audience on who these amazing women are. Dr. Grace Cordovano is the founder of Enlightened Results. She has dedicated her career to fostering personalized patient advocacy services specializing in oncology. She strategically guides patients and their care partners through survivorship and end-of-life care planning with empathy and ensuring individuals are armed with the most pertinent, medical credible, and easy to understand information and tools to make empowered decisions about their care. With over 20 years of experience and advocacy, she thoroughly understands the barriers patients face due to data silos, high patient administrative burdens, poorly designed of and fragmented workflows, and a lack of transparency. She's also co-founded Unblock Health to empower patients and their care partners with modernized tools to request their electronic health records, as well as to request corrections to their EHI. She currently serves on the HITHC Interoperability Standards Workgroup, co-chairs the Sequoia Project Consumer Voices Workgroup, the HIMSS Public Policy Committee, and the Health, our HLTH Foundation Tech Equity Advisory Committee. She's also an award-winning patient advocate that has been featured in State News, Kevin Med, Pincher, Health Blog, and Moby Health News, U.S. News and World Report, Kaiser News, and Politico. Wow. 
what an amazing background and career. And thank you. My next guest is Grace Vinton. She is a patient advocate and digital health influencer and an award-winning communications professional with a passion for people, technologies that save the lives in healthcare, IT, pharma, and life sciences. She's worked behind the scenes with over 20 clients in her career, a list that reads like the who's who of healthcare and pharma technology leaders to tell powerful innovation stories and educate the industry on emerging trends. As a patient representative for the Sequoia Project's Care Quality Advisory Board, Grace is an advocate for patients to have a greater, easier access to their own data. She's deeply committed to ensuring that the best interests and needs of patients and caregivers are top of mind, while the national level consensus-built interoperability framework enables exchanges between and among health information networks and service platforms. She is fluent in media, social media, and viral marketing, and has a top 1% most viewed LinkedIn profile with numerous healthcare industry heavy hitters and followers of her regular technology industry news and commentary. You can find her on Twitter at High Tea with Grace, also the name of her Hit Like a Girl podcast, that which boosts over 20,000 listeners a month. While drinking tea and spilling the tea, Grace interviews women executives and patient advocates who are making a difference in healthcare innovation. So ladies, welcome, welcome, welcome to Straight Out of Health IT. I'm so honored again to have you both join me as a guest on this program. Thank now, you before, so much. You're welcome. Now, before we begin, one of the things I always ask my guests to share is, obviously both of you have very impressive resumes, but that just tells part of the story. I was wondering if you could kind of take a few minutes to fill in the blanks. Tell me about your personal journey. What led you to the place you are today in advocating in the way you're doing in healthcare? And I'll start with Grace Finn. Hello. So great to be here with you guys. I've been working in healthcare communications for a little over a decade as a PR consultant. So I'm kind of sitting in the middle of the trends happening in the industry, you know, in healthcare innovation, pharma innovation, and kind of help amplify these stories. But in 2017, I had a world rocking patient experience after I had my third child. I had chronic pain, misdiagnosis after misdiagnosis, specialist after specialist, treatment after treatment, one procedure after another. And it turned out the entire time I had E. coli poisoning. Well, actually, who knows when the E. coli poisoning started and what symptoms happened, et cetera. But it's one of the most easily discoverable and treatable illnesses you could possibly imagine. And I lost a year and a half of my life oh my to something God. that was so easily treatable. And I literally felt 100% better after one round of antibiotics. And they gave me a second just in case. Sure. So, But through this experience, I realized the power of the patient voice and story and I realized how much it was not being listened to or included in the healthcare industry. And so I started really helping other young moms navigate the healthcare system after birth and did that more on like a community basis, kind of building a whole community rescue network of sorts for moms in my area on a volunteer basis. And then I realized, oh, goodness, the patient and caregiver voice needs to be amplified everywhere. So I have been fighting ever since to really make sure that the industry is aware of how powerful the patient voice is. And it's so funny because Grace and I have gone viral so many times saying things like patient and caregivers are experts in healthcare sure. and their voice matters and they should be treated as such. And people say, oh, that's so controversial. Like and share and follow. And how is that controversial? 
It seems you like know, common sense. Exactly. Patients right. and caregivers were healthcare consumers. Exactly. We're consumers of healthcare. You know, it's a really wild world we live in that something like that or a statement like that would be controversial or thought right. of as controversial in this industry. Oh, absolutely. Well, and women's maternal health has been such an issue in this country as well, too, especially with some of the underserved communities. So the fact that you have now championing that and creating a voice for this community, I have to applaud you for that. Thank you. Dr. Grace. Just in all listening to her, I'm just so happy right. to be in this space and in her presence because you can see why she's amazing. So um, my story. So I didn't speak English as a kid. My family's from Poland. And while I was born here, I only spoke Polish at home, only went to Polish school. And then I started school and it was a disaster. My name was always on the board because I was always talking in Polish, trying to figure out from friends what was going on in the classroom. Had detention every day, even in kindergarten. Fast forward, I got the hang of speaking English and I became a navigator for family and parishioners and neighbors, literally as like a 10, 12 year old using my encyclopedia and my dictionary, trying to write down what the notes are and trying to understand what's on the prescription bottles because there was no Google Translate. There were no Polish translators anywhere. I quickly got into the world of navigating really complicated diagnoses like cancer, cousins, aunts, uncles, my mom. And I think really what impacted me was my parents and family always prized U.S. healthcare coming from Poland, living in poverty, that there was so much innovation. And my world was shattered when my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. And the oncologist said, we don't have a cure. And I said, how could that be? That propelled me to go into grad school. My background is a PhD in biochemistry of metabolic disease because I wanted to understand why. And I was thrown into this world where realizing cancer is a lot more complex than anyone could ever imagine. I was misdiagnosed with advanced lymphoma after completing my dissertation. It took four months at Sloan Kettering after numerous tests biopsies, surgery, being placed in isolation after surgery for potential tuberculosis to find out that it was not advanced lymphoma, that it was a fungal infection I got on my honeymoon. Mm -hmm. So the irony of what even her personal experiences, had I not gotten a copy of my records, had I not asked questions, my life would have been very different because I would have been aggressively treated for advanced lymphoma. Instead, what I needed was some follow-up monitoring because a healthy immune system clears this fungus, which is called histoplasmosis, and needed no follow-up. So while I was recovering from that, I read an article in newspaper, I'm dating myself here, but it was about patient advocacy as a profession. So they don't teach you business or finance in grad school. So I took a little bit of that and opened up my own practice, which is enlightening results. And that's my professional patient advocacy consulting practice. Wonderful. Well, again, thank you so much for championing the rights of patients as well. And with my own personal experience with my mother, she was diagnosed with kidney cancer. But for years, my mother would go to her doctor and she had blood in her urine and her doctor told her it was normal. Well, it's a normal thing. And it wasn't until it got so significant that they finally did test and realized that she had cancer. And at that time it had metastasized and had spread throughout her body. So I can appreciate both of your journeys and being misdiagnosed and my mom's as well, too. And so part of the reason why I'm advocating 
for these types of things is the impact that it had on my mom ultimately took her life and me personally as well too. And I told this story a few times on my program where I was diagnosed with two brain tumors and I actually had brain surgery as well. And so I've been a part of the health system, not only as a CIO and, you know, on that side, but also as a patient and understanding the challenges I had going to two very prominent health systems to try to diagnose what was wrong with me. And then ultimately to find out that I was, I had two tumors. Thank God, you know, they were benign, but yet they were significant enough that surgery was required and how the health system still has a long way to go. Right. Mm -hmm. And improving our accuracy, our advocacy, our empathy for patients. And hopefully social media will start to be a tool and an influencer to drive change. So let's jump right into the discussion around that. Social media has had a significant impact on healthcare in recent years. And one of the most notable effects is the increase of accessibility of information. Patients can now easily access information about medical conditions, treatments, medications online, Please share with us your perspective on how social media is beginning to now impact the patient and more importantly, empower the patient as a consumer now. Dr. Grace? I think it really powers and fuels connections at life speed and allows patients and families and advocates to work around a fragmented, outdated system. Forget the phone, forget the portal, forget writing a letter and putting it in the mail or sending a message through the portal or waiting for an appointment that's three months out. A catastrophic diagnosis or situation or circumstance, whether it's you or your loved one, allows you to go and quickly go and search by a hashtag, find who's publishing, see who's speaking, who's really out there engaging, and simply send a follow request and a DM as opposed to all the other nonsense. So I think connections at life speed is the power of social media. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And I've also found that through social media, patients and caregivers were no longer willing to be at the backseat of care decisions. We're not okay with being a backseat driver in our own care. It's not okay for us. We're taking the reins as CEO, not just as an equal partner or collaborator in our care. We are CEO. We are self-triaging. It's happening now, whether people like it or not. Right. Data is the new oil. The exactly. more patients get data from social media, from ChatGPT, from WebMD, it's from even their Facebook groups where they're socializing with other patients with their own conditions, the more empowered we feel and the more able we are able to be more active participants in our own care. And so I think that's one thing. Another thing is I think care is just no longer going to be, you know, prognosis and diagnosis of a symptom. It's about whole person care. Exactly. You know, our wearables are tracking our cycles, our sleep, our hard. We can share that information on social media. We can share healthy recipes, workouts, et cetera. And it's adding this whole other community level to whole person care that I think that policy and reimbursement is going to have to catch up to whether they like it or not. And that's because of what social media is doing in the patient and caregiver kind of world on social. Absolutely. And I think Western medicine doctors were taught just to treat the specific symptom itself, whether it's the medicated or to remove it from your body, but not think about things from a more holistic perspective that the body, you know, every aspect of the body has an impact in the other parts of the body. And so thinking about, to your point, our sleep cycles, what we put in our body, you know, our emotional well-being, all of this has a direct impact on the total quality of care. I think also we are now more informed consumers, to your point as well, too, and we're no longer willing to allow doctors to practice medicine on us, but we want to go in with knowledge and options that we want to discuss with our care providers too. And so instead of just medicating me, 
what are some other options that might be at my disposal that we can try to see if it can address our issues? I'm just curious from your perspective as you've gone through your own situations and you come into, because it sounds like both of you throughout your own journeys have gone out and done your own research. You went into your providers with armed with information. How receptive were those providers when you came in and said, look, I won't sound as knowledgeable about the symptoms and issues as you are, but I know a lot. And I'm going to challenge you, Mr. or Ms. Provider. What's been your experience with that? You know, it's interesting. Initially, when my patient advocacy work, definitely not a welcome concept to come in there and start questioning. I've definitely had even my mom say, Shh, be quiet. You can't right. question the doctor. Are right. you crazy? And exactly. there's cultural barriers where this is just not the norm, where you sit and you listen. And it's not that this is a matter of disrespect. It's a matter of moving to a culture of shared accountability. And I actually have found connections that I've fostered online of physicians and nurses and clinicians, and I meet them in person. They are ready to roll up their sleeves and rock and roll and get into a shared accountability, participatory style discussion here to brainstorm and work together. So it actually is more of an asset in working through peer health support groups or through a different tweet chats that might be happening. And then you meet the people in person, they are ready to roll in, in this partnership. And I'm not seeing that as much organically when I maybe meet a physician or a nurse in person for the first time. Sure. Grace? A hundred percent. Everything Dr. Grace said, she's a hundred percent right. I think doctors and even nurses, they kind of say, we're the professional, right? You're not the professional. But I have met so many patients that are literally actual medical experts that should have medical degrees. I mean, especially in the rare disease community, some are putting in their own food ports every day and they know more names and terminologies of genetic conditions and diseases than any uh, maybe of their local primary care physicians might because of the type of care they're giving. So I think that before COVID, I had way more conversations where people were like, don't tell me anything. I am the medical professional. Post-COVID, I do think people realize that we're more informed than they thought before COVID. I mean, we just started researching and having more conversations. And so it's very much a thing that if a physician is on med Twitter, (laughs) they see the power that and the knowledge that a lot of patients and caregivers can bring to the table. And those that aren't on social media and they can't see like just the wisdom that patients and caregivers can bring, they're missing out, really. They're missing out and they are not able to take part in the way that care is going to be moving down the road. It's only going to become more and more patient-led as we lead into more innovative and holistic care models. I remember when my mom was going through her issues and she would continue to defend her doctor, even when he was misdiagnosing her. One of the things I would give her the analogy is that, mom, now, if you went to a mechanic and you kept taking your car to this mechanic and he couldn't fix it, would you keep going to that same mechanic or would you change mechanics? Well, guess what? A doctor's a body mechanic. And if you keep going to this doctor and you're not getting the results you're looking for, why do you keep going to the same doctor? You have the right to go somewhere else and get another diagnosis, another perspective on your condition. And to your point, Dr. Grace, Culturally, at least my parents were early baby boomers. You trust the doctor. I mean, you did what's got white coat syndrome. You know, doctors were always right. They're the gods. And far be it for me to question their ability. Well, just like there's good mechanics and bad mechanics, there are good doctors and there are bad doctors. And we have to advocate for ourselves and for those loved ones 
who are going through these challenges and issues and may not be as savvy about going on social media and doing their own research, especially older parents and loved ones. And we have to be that advocate for them because there are good clinicians. And I would like to say most of them probably are, but there are that group that just don't stay abreast of what's going on, the latest advancements in care, and continue to treat patients like they learned 30 years ago, 40 years ago in medical school. So to your point, information is the new currency, it's the new oil, it's the power that we now have. We're now in an information age, and what an exciting time for us as individuals to be able to use technologies like ChatGPT and search engines and AI and others to help us make better decisions around all aspects of our lives, including care. But like anything, bad data in, bad data out, right? And so one of the concerns that people talk about as it relates to social media is the spread of misinformation. You know, there's so much information online and there's so many ways things can be spent, misrepresented. Healthcare professionals are leery sometimes when people come into their office and say, I found this on the internet. I think this is what's going on with me or what do you think about this doc? So what are your thoughts about how patients and loved ones navigate this massive amount of health information that's hopefully much of it is accurate, but a lot of it is not. I mean, again, do I put, do I inject cleaning fluid into my body to get clear COVID, right? <laughs> you know, so I'm just curious from your perspectives, your example on that. And Dr. Grace, what's your thoughts on that? Sure. I think I'd have to say from personal experience, I'm constantly bombarded with family and friends sending me the latest things. Did you see this? Did you see this? And I think we have to start with a foundation of basics. Here are the credible organizations. Here are the handles you should be following. Here are the physicians who maybe write the practice guidelines, who are the keynote speakers, who are the subject matter experts. Here are the patient advocates. Here are the leaders that are part of national or federal work groups. We could easily compose a list of handles of authorities that are trusted and start there before we start nitpicking things that may be flashy or clickbait that sound too good to be true. So I think there's a coaching perspective here that would allow us to address misinformation, disinformation, malinformation, but no one's created this piece of foundation that's essential. So I think a lot of us are struggling with trying to disseminate, but our colleagues in medicine certainly can help us by having a patient education sheet, whether it's in maternal health, whether it's in kidney cancer or cardiovascular disease of here's where you start a simple one pager. Absolutely. Grace, any thoughts on your end? I would say that misinformation is the number one kind of DEI issue in population health. Really, uh, patients and caregivers do not have access to the peer-reviewed journals that medical professionals have access to. How are we supposed to be informed if we're not given the proper information? We have to go through side channels to get the information that we want. People are going to Dr. YouTube and Dr. TikTok to try to figure out what's going on in this world. And so I think, you know, working in healthcare communications, one, we need access to the same types of peer-reviewed journals that medical professionals have access to, and we should be treated as medical professionals in that way. And then two, if you are going to be giving us medical information, you know, from your local public health institute or from your hospital or health system or even from your library, it needs to be fun and entertaining, to be honest. You know, I love the work that organizations like Hip Hop 
about public health and even hit like a girl pod are doing to kind of promote the different topics that are of importance to the industry in a way that's fun and light and interesting to really kind of advance change and advance the good messages happening in the industry. I would love for people to kind of follow hip hop public health and hit like a girl on TikTok because kind of to what Dr. Grace was saying, those organizations are putting forth information that is valuable and accurate and is actually making an impact. So I think it's a mixture between, I think, the same old, same old working against patients and then also us kind of needing to, as a whole industry, push for change. Because if we don't fix this misinformation issue now, when are we going to do it, right? I think now is the time to kind of get it done and to do it in a fun and entertaining way. Right. And so it sounds like really when you think about the political determinants of health, some of the policies and laws and issues that impact the delivery of care, our laws and our regulations haven't really caught up yet with the advances of technology, right? How do we manage or regulate, mediate the quality of information that's out there in the information sphere so that people are not harmed? Well, you know, by this information or those who are putting it out there are held accountable. And let's continue down that vein around the ethics of data, right? And information, privacy concerns, you know, as we again, start to get access to more and more data. And we create these social media groups where people are coming together and sharing information about their condition or their family's conditions. Give me your thoughts and feelings about privacy issues, data breach issues, things of that nature that might be impacted by the use of social media. Grace? Here's my call to action. Everyone listening should follow Andrea Downing and the work she's leading Mm -hmm. and championing at the Light Collective. Mm -hmm. Go and search the Light Collective, go and follow the Light Collective. She has been leading the charge for years. She is incredibly brilliant and cutting edge. And the Light Collective is shining a light literally on all of these breach issues, privacy issues, data issues, the ethics and authentic engagement with data and how we should be including and engaging patients, not just using their data. So I can't even, I'm not equipped and Eve should be speaking on this, but I'm just going to shine a light on Andrea and the work that she's doing. That's Absolutely. And I agree with Dr. Grace. The Light Collective is just such an important company that really also has patient advocates and includes patient and caregiver stories in the work that they're doing in this area. And it's just absolutely incredible to see how they are using the patient voice and the caregiver voice to make decisions as a company and really decide what to research and what to move forward next on. And I think the rest of the industry could learn a lot from the framework that they use in how they use these patient stories to make changes in the space. Wonderful. Great information. And I look forward, I personally need to go out myself and follow her as well, in which I will do it right after this program. I'll start learning more about what's going on from her perspective and what she's leading. I do want to reserve some time, you know, time flies quickly when we're having these types of conversations. I do want to reserve some time for each of you to talk about the advocacy-related initiatives and programs you're involved in. So I know you have a great hit like a girl and some of the other things you're doing there. Can you share what you're focused on in advocating for healthcare and women getting more involved in this industry? Just tell our audience a little bit about the things you're focused on right now. 
Absolutely. So first, I would love for folks to get connected with the Hit Like a Girl pod community. It's an amazing group of women who are just there to support one another, to share patient stories, to include the patient voice and caregiver voice in the innovation process, but then to also amplify the wonderful work that women are doing in the industry to make an impact. But one of my biggest areas of advocacy is to really start seeing the patient and the caregiver as an informaticist. And to include the patient voice and story in in innovation efforts across the industry. You know, I won't rest until every single innovation company has a chief healthcare consumer story officer. Up to the ONC. The ONC just had a chief nurse officer job listing posted. And Dr. Grace said something fantastic. I'm ready for the chief patient officer. And that's really what we're here for. And, you know, one of my biggest areas of advocacy. But then I'm also a huge advocate for clinical research as a care option. You know, I believe the industry is moving towards this whole idea of including the patients in the care process from the bench, from the research being done in pharma and life sciences etc. to the bedside, in the medical room, at home, wherever that bedside is for you. And when patients and caregivers are included in these efforts, we can help move forward the industry. So I think that's something that all of us should be tracking to and help moving forward as an industry. I think the patient voice and caregiver voice is super powerful and the industry will only benefit in innovation if they include that voice in what they're doing. Absolutely. Well, I commend you for your advocacy in that area as well. Dr. Grace, you founded the Enlightening Results and you are involved in so many other initiatives as well, too. Why don't you share with our listeners what brought you to founding Enlightened Results and some of the other advocacy programs that you're leading? I think as I reflect now where I am in my work, I am fully committed to decreasing what I call patient administrative burden, the work that patients and their families need to do to get the care they need. We have a public health crisis of physician burnout. We have a silent epidemic of patient burnout. It is just too hard to get the care you need. Trying to get through fax machines, images on CD, phone calls, hard copy mail, trying to coordinate your care, trying to care for aging parents, trying to care for your children, trying to care for your condition while you're dealing with just complete nonsense. I am committed to educating and coaching patients about their right of access to get their health information because in all the work that I do, that is our central source of truth. And that's how I build trust and transparency with complete strangers who are entrusting me at the most darkest time in their life. And not only their right of access, but teaching people about the power of that access and how to make that access into action. How do you use that information to navigate our healthcare system? Yes. Oh, yay. (laughs) And then I am obsessed with all these AI tools and bringing open access tools to patients because this is something that we normally don't have. So I had a patient, I've been coaching patients on how to use chat GPT and BARD and Docs GPT. And someone told me, you're like the AI prompt whisperer. And I'm going to run with that because I am obsessed with trying to help patients hack healthcare and write letters of medical necessity when English isn't their second language so they can apply for social security disability benefits. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to to help people overturn that insurance denial and make it an approval so that they can get the care that their doctor prescribed. And we're just trying to ethically hack the tools that we have to hack the burdens that 
our current fragmented healthcare system has imposed so wrongfully on people. That's great. And that's just scratching the surface of so many things that technology can help to empower patients and their caregivers as well. And so as we start to wrap up this session of Straight Out of Health IT, I want to ask each of you to offer a prediction or share your thoughts on how you see social media will continue to influence the industry. And Dr. Grace, you talked about some chat GBT and some of the other things there too. But it's saying the next three to five years, how do you see or envision the impact of social media on the delivery of care? Doc, Doc, start with you. I'm hoping it's going to be a contributing equalizer to a power imbalance where we normally did not have access to an inner network or an academic group or things are behind paywalls. We're finding ways to hack around things and sharing best practices faster than anyone can catch up. So I'm hopeful that social media will continue to build partnership with our physicians, with academic societies, with nonprofits, with federal level opportunities to continue to amplify the patient and care partner voice, which will drive the movement of being more patients included and including the patient as a stakeholder rightfully at the table and the care partner right alongside in any of the transformation, whether it's digital health, healthcare, or any of the advocacy work efforts that are happening today. I like that vision. And I echo all the things that Dr. Grace is saying. I also think there's going to be a huge rise in health influencers across the industry that's going to infuse fun with education. And, you know, it's starting to happen now, but it's only going to proliferate. And then I really see that the advocacy done on Twitter and LinkedIn and on Facebook and on social media, it's going to translate to real policy change. And we've already seen it start happening in the areas of patient access and other areas. And that's huge for us. Now we just need reimbursement to catch up with what patients and caregivers are saying we want on these social media sites. And I think we're going to see a huge advancement in whole person care because of this. Amen. Yeah, amen. Exactly. I love it. You know, I was talking to a CIO at Vive recently, and he was asking me this similar question. That's why I wanted to pose it to you. And I said, hey, I see the future of the digital doc. And what I mean by that is with technologies like remote patient monitoring technologies and, you know, the Fitbit type technology of the world, they can capture patient information and the condition of the patient and can feed that into a system that now has AI and machine learning intelligence behind it. And now chat GPT type intelligence built around that. Patients can now sit in the comfort of their home and call their digital doc and say, hey, check my vitals, my temperature, my blood pressure, my heart rate, all of that. And I have these things going on with me. Do I have a cold, a flu, sinus infection, whatever it might be? Help diagnose some of those kind of basic conditions of things that primary care physicians might normally treat. Those things may in the future be relegated to digital docs. And It might not be the baby boomers that completely embrace that, but definitely my kids, the Gen Xs, YZs, et cetera, you name it, the alphabet soup, those who are used to using technology that is really a part of their digital natives, they grew up with it as a part of what they do in their everyday lives. Sure, they could sit down and say, hey, run my vitals right now. I'm not feeling quite right. And then let the digital doc analyze that information and give me a diagnosis. So I see kind of the age, I go back to, and I'll date myself, the days of the Jetsons, right? Where you out a number and then this AI pops up and you do your diagnosis and they immediately 
send over or somehow get medication to you, you know, whether it's automatically dispensed through some sort of technology or you've got nanobox already inside you that are now directing them to go attack certain parts of your body where the condition exists. So I think the future is really bright in terms of how we continue to leverage technology. I think we as human beings have to be open to it. And I know that this is a scary time, especially for clinicians, because they feel like these technologies are taking away from the human element of the delivery of care. And I actually challenge that and say, it's actually going to allow you to continue to be a human in the delivery of care, because now I can focus on the person and not have to focus on the technology. Let the technology be an advisor or resource for you, and you can now focus on how that person is feeling right now, how to sympathize with them, how to collaborate with them in the treatment of their care. Tech-enabled human touch. Let's do it. Absolutely. The patient as CIO, like we have our own tech stack, exactly. like get ready. And we're basically an employee of the health system. You know, we're just going to go in when we have a trauma. We can manage the rest at home. Let Absolutely. us do that. Let us do that. Let us own that. You know, exactly. Well, thank you so much, ladies. It's been such a pleasure having you on the show. I think we could sit here and talk for another hour about a whole host of other things. I'll have to have you both back on. I want to thank both Grace Benton and Dr. Grace Cordovano for being my guest on the show. It's such a pleasure and an honor to have you on the program. I look forward to seeing you soon at some of the conferences that we will be at in the not so distant future. I look forward to continuing to follow both of you on social media and throughout your journey as influencers and healthcare providers. Well, Thank that's you so it. much. You're welcome. You're welcome. Listeners, this episode of Straight Out of Healthcare IT is a wrap. As always, I thank you for your feedback and your support. And I know all of you who enjoy this program, I encourage you to share this with a friend, family member, a loved one, and let's make this particular episode go viral. So until then, take care, be healthy and well, and God bless. Thank you so much for listening to Straight Outta Health IT. We hope you enjoyed today's guest. For more unfiltered dialogue of healthcare leaders and influencers, be sure to tune in next week. For the show notes, transcripts, and resources, please visit Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite streaming platform. We invite you to give us feedback by reaching out to Christopher Cuddy on LinkedIn, just searching for Straight Outta Health IT, and you'll find us. We are constantly having live discussions about diverse topics in the industry. 